0: Hey, and welcome to Alex Listens, a podcast by me, Alex, which is about, um, not much, uh, philosophy, ethics, race, identity, politics, um, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, so I decided a few days ago to do an episode every day, um, that I'm in lockdown that uh, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I'm not in lockdown. I'm in isolation, self-isolation. So I'm doing 14 episodes in 14 days. This is my fifth day. Um, and I've decided to replay an old episode, um, from a different podcast that I did with my dear friend, Liam. Uh, we interviewed, um, a comedian, an Australian comedian who had a TV show on ABC Uh, The Tonightly by Tom Ballard or Tom Ballard's Tonightly not sure what order it goes in Um, and yeah, it was recorded uh, halfway through 2019 um, kind of soon before the 2019 Australian federal election Um, and yeah, uh, you might you might know Tom Ballard from that Um, not from the Australian federal election Um, he didn't run, although we kind of pushed him to, uh, come out about, um, <laughs> uh, to come out about, uh, uh, you know, running for politics. Um, although he didn't run, he didn't decide to run out for politics, to run for politics. Um, but you know, he closely aligned himself with the Victorian socialist party. Uh, and yeah. So, um, what did we talk to Tom Ballard about? We spoke about, okay. So one, I've listened to this, uh, Okay, so one thing, one thing that I noticed is that my interview style has really, really radically changed um, and it's actually quite hard for me to listen to I guess the Alex listens podcasts, the ones that I've actually the interviews and stuff that I've done for this podcast. Uh, it feels um, it feels as though I'm more familiar like me, the self, the version of me that I'm listening to is more familiar um, whereas, the older interviews I've done, I, I feel like I'm quite different and I, I'm not as like, I guess I was just, yeah, I was learning how I was learning how to interview people back then. Um, and not that I really know how to do it now, but I guess I've, I have a better idea of what I want from the conversations. Um, and so at times, yeah, it, it was quite frustrating listening to myself. Um, Okay. So what did we, what did we talk with, with Tom Ballard about? Um, obviously we spoke about comedy. Um, he's a comedian, um, and you know, he's a very funny man. Um, and we spoke about, uh, whether uh, we asked him whether, um, when I say we, obviously me and my friend Liam, um, who's, you know, when you hear there are three voices, one is Tom's, one is mine, one is Liam's, blah, blah, blah. Um, we spoke to Tom about, uh, you know, we asked him whether he feels a pressure to constantly be funny. Um, because I imagine like, yeah, I I imagine that that's something that comedians might feel as though there is a pressure for them to be, you know, performative forever. Um, and then another thing that we spoke about, um, was, uh, as, as the three of us, Liam, Tom, and I, um, actually I shouldn't speak on behalf of Liam because he didn't, he didn't actually voice his politics on, on that particular episode, but, Tom and I were, I guess, me more so now than I was on the episode. We are both vocal about our kind of leftist allegiances. Um, and one thing that is very interesting is that being in leftist circles and being around leftist people kind of equips you with this rich understanding of the workings of capitalism and neoliberalism. But as Tom pointed out in, in the episode, It's kind of exhausting when you're constantly navigating the world and thinking about, you know, the kind of psychological implications of advertising and the way in which tabloid newspapers, you know, are trying to attract your attention with kind of exciting headlines. And the fact that, um, yeah, like even for me to continue making this podcast, I have to ask people, um, you know, for support, uh, for patrons. Um, so, you know, if you're enjoying the podcast, consider becoming a patron. Um, you can do so via Patreon. I'll put a link in the bio and I'm being serious. Um, it's, it's a kind of, it's a, it's really strange the relationship between, uh, being a leftist creator and kind of having to commodify yourself and your work. Um, yeah. We also spoke about, um, the risks in journalism. Um, so, you know, Tom, Tom had this, had his show, the Tonightly, which was canceled maybe because he swore a lot and called the former prime minister, um, the C word on national TV. I think that's what happened. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, maybe he called someone else the C word. Um, uh, he also used, Tom also used the C word in this episode. Um, yeah, he likes, he likes swearing a lot. Uh, And we spoke about, um, one thing that was interesting was that there are a lot of allusions. So obviously this episode was recorded pre COVID-19. Um, but there were a lot of allusions to kind of children wearing gas masks and that it was obviously with reference to the climate crisis. Um, but, uh, something else that was spoken about were kind of restrictions or something that was hinted to that wasn't clearly spoken about was, um, restrictions to civil liberties. Um, and this is something, so one thing that's been happening across Australia is that, and also in the UK, I've heard in London, um, uh, parks are being closed and national parks are being closed. Um, and yeah, I, I hope in the future to talk about, um, actually now I'll just briefly, I'm not actually sure how I feel about the closing of national parks and stuff, um, because, we're not in lockdown yet in Australia. But we, like I, I believe that we ought to be in lockdown. Um, and one thing that Boris Johnson said um, while, you know, he announced that the UK was in lockdown a few days ago. Um, and then he said, you know, you're, you're entitled to one walk, one kind of piece of exercise in public per day. Um, and I may, maybe, I don't know, maybe having natural parks open is a bad thing because it's going to encourage people to, you know, breach lockdown and go and try and spend time in nature. Um, but at the same time, there's like a strange like, like, that's like bad, like I, you know how Bondi, uh, Bondi beach, Australia's most famous beach. Um, people just were blatantly disregarding the government's advice to maintain a healthy distance, you know, to, to continue social distancing. People were, you know, um, centimeters away from each other on the beach. So maybe it's just not possible. Maybe you can't have these things open, these big spaces open and you know, trust that people are going to respect the boundaries. But I mean, national parks are very big. They're very 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 big places and you know, unless we're in lockdown, um I guess I, I don't really understand. Maybe maybe someone can can contact me and tell me like what what one of the arguments I mean, yeah, I heard that, like, Tasmania has closed, um, you know, that island, that island on the the south, off the south coast of Australia. Um, uh, that, yeah, Tasmania has closed all its national parks. Um, yeah, anyway, um, we kind of hinted towards the restriction of civil civil liberties, not civil liberties. Um, so yeah, uh, if you're enjoying the podcast please, as I said before, consider supporting it on Patreon. Um, now is a time of immense financial instability and insecurity. Um, and uh, I've said this many times, I'll never have ads on this podcast, ever, ever, ever. Um, but that means that I rely on the support of patrons. Um, and for those of you who are in a position, uh, t- you know, who can afford a few dollars a month, um, it would be greatly greatly app- uh, appreciated and it will go towards you know um better quality episodes and uh more research and more time and better equipment and that kind of stuff i'm also in the process of trying to buy a new microphone um and it would be it would be nice to have some support um a second microphone to to interview people um anyway i uh, enjoy the episode with tom ballard and bye hello. hello tom hello how are you
1: very well thank you alex hello Liam. hello tom
0: um <laughs> <laughs> so a, formal. So I know, I know it is. No, but uh, <laughs> How are you?
1: I'm well, thank Excellent. you. Excellent. Yourself. Oh fuck, I already Good. asked. Oh, oh shit. No.
0: Ah, where do we go from here? <laughs> oh funnily enough, we um we tried to, you know, cover ourselves if we didn't know how to start the podcast. So the first thing we we're gonna ask you was how are you like you know how's your podcast going but bloody hell last night you announced that you were going to get it back on the road so now we have no fucking idea where yeah, to start
2: you stole our scoop. I'm sorry guys i'm sorry to throw you there yeah. yes the podcast was on hiatus for a while while i was doing this other the tv thing tonightly with tom ballard which is very successful and everyone loved and um you know that wrapped up i called it i ended it, it, was, it was my decision i, I left them <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then I, yeah, I've started up again because I really love doing it, and uh, and I learned a lot. But I'm asking people for money now. I'm asking people to to become patrons of me because that's interview be what everybody's doing. Mm. And I have friends who make substantial amounts of money from their podcast. So I'm trying to get into that scene. Yeah. Okay, because <laughs> uh, you've
1: had a what a year off, a year and a half.
2: Yeah, I guess I wrapped it up towards the end of 2017, where we were just yeah. starting um, Tonightly. Yes, uh, yeah, posted the past couple, of, last couple of episodes. I also just thought it's enough for me if if people are watching uh, Tonightly every night of the week, which they weren't, <laughs> uh, they'd hear a lot from me. They'd yeah. see me interviewing people and talking about politics ad nauseum. So they yeah, didn't need enough. the podcast as well. Yeah, nice. Okay, and so, what are you
0: hoping to? Um, what direction are you hoping to, you know, direct the podcast? Then is it going to be similar? You know, socio-politics, that kind of stuff
2: Definitely still politics-focused, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's election year, which is exciting mm-hmm. And uh, maybe even now I've got a little little bit more clout to, to talk to bigger names and interesting people And that kind of thing You know, we, we end up getting some politicians on the on the show Which was cool I don't know, maybe they all hate me now <laughs> Tonightly, I don't know, I guess we'll find out <laughs> But I guess it's interesting for me Because I've sort of, over that period Where I wasn't doing the podcast too And I was doing Tonightly I was doing a lot of reading and thinking And listening to other... <laughs> (laughs) leftist podcasts Mm. and so i've sort of i I would have described myself a bit i guess closer to the center or a wet liberal left kind of guy Mm. for what i was doing the podcast and i'm like yeah we can listen to each other and we can persuade each other about the big issues and come to a great consensus now i think fuck that no Mm. no (laughs) left is good uh let's wipe these people out of office at every possible level and defeat them because they're not going to change and they suck
1: well We do want to talk a lot about um, about politics uh, later in the podcast, but we do have to address something very serious. Oh, God. Um, very. Something that's no doubt been bothering you and, and all your fans for a long time, and that is that your middle name is Colin, Tom. <laughs> Colin. Yes. Really? Yes. Where, why? Well, it wasn't my decision, was it? You just don't strike me
2: as a Colin. Oh, well, that's a good thing I'm a Tom then. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I think that was like, they were down to calling me the Tom or Colin, mum and dad. And uh, whoever was, I think mum won. I think she wanted Thomas as the first one. I don't mind Colin. Does anyone call you Colin? No, (laughs) because it's my middle name. It's the pointless middle (laughs) name. What is the point of the middle name? Is it if you lose your first one or (laughs) leave it at Woolies in the shopping
1: basket?
0: (laughs) Yeah, why, why do we have them? Maybe it's because, you know, some people have very, very generic names. John Smith. Yeah. John Smith. And then, you know, John... John Rodrigo Smith. Yeah, it? yeah. Oh, a oh, bit that'd of- be interesting. <laughs> a bit of spice. But um, I guess
2: I use it to honour people, you know, like you name your... Give your child your grandfather's true, true, name true, whatever. True. My brother's middle name is Neil, which is my dad's name, mm, um, mm. which sucks <laughs> as a name. He's a nice man. <laughs> but I remember being angry that, yeah, my middle name wasn't named after anybody. Very, very petty child um so
1: i want to touch on something that um i listened to Adam why interview you a while back on his podcast oh, yes. and um he noted that you sort of you started law but then quit law for stand up you um you obviously when you ended the tonightly you've gone back to stand up when you finished with triple j you went back to stand up and so i guess what we wanted to know was is stand up <laughs> kind of your essence is it is it the truest version <laughs> of you um, it's my default. Yeah,
2: right. It's my last option. <laughs> no, I was doing stand up the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> I was doing okay. triple J. All I right. mean, when I was at triple J, people go, "Oh, you're going to go back to comedy." And I was like, "Well, I was hoping that we were mildly amusing when we were doing that <laughs> show, but apparently not. Apparently, we weren't even in the genre of comedy. But there must have been some stuff that
1: you wanted to say but couldn't, given it's the ABC and
2: yeah. I mean, it's just a different. It's a different vibe. I mean, I mean some people do get into stand up comedy. Because they want to end up on TV, or they want to be presenting and hosting stuff, they 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 sign that as a success. Like that's you know Justin Hamilton is a great stand-up comic. You know you should say people when you say in Australia particularly we say I'm a stand-up comedian. They go oh what what TV show are you on or what what radio gig are you doing? Yeah. Um, but but for a lot of us and myself included, that's not that's not it. I mean honestly, if I if I got to just perform live for the rest of my career you know, hopefully in increasingly larger venues or, you know, in new and interesting ways, Mm. I'd be very, very happy. Mm. Because, yeah, I mean, particularly in Australia, it's all a bit limiting and boring when Mm. it comes to um, TV. Um. So... Apart from Titanic. <laughs> uh, so, if you really want to, you know, do the thing that made you fall in love with comedy in the first place, which chances are is going to see a live stand up comedian, um, you want to, you always want to keep that part of what you're doing for sure. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and just on that note, so did you feel as though you had, uh, I, I'm sure, actually, no, I, I won't tell you what you felt, um, but <laughs> did you, did you feel as though you were, more free in your own, you know, on your podcast or in your own personal stand-up than you were on the ABC? Were there any kind of, you know, boundaries that were clearly set that you weren't allowed to, you know, like where, where did you have to draw the line mm. or
2: did you have to draw the line at all? I mean, look, in the scheme of things, the freedom we had on Tonightly was mm. incredible. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, I know a lot of people talked about the amount of swearing on that show. You know, I wish I did sort of swear a little bit less Not for any kind of moral reason Or just because it was sometimes distracting From the jokes we were doing mm, And yeah. if that's all that people took away from the show I'd be a bit annoyed Because I think we were doing some good stuff mm. um, But yeah, if you think about how dark we got We did say the, the C word Oh, uh, the, odd, the, odd. The, the controversial <laughs> the controversial <laughs> comedy um, <laughs> You know, I mean that is very rare mm. um, For any, even on the ABC to be honest Like we really did did push it a lot um, And I'm really proud of that And I'm very grateful grateful to the ABC for doing that. But at the end of the day, you know, the ABC has editorial policies, which I think is are kind of important. They have legal advice, <laughs> which sometimes, you know, uh, nipped shows in the bud. Mm. And then also, even if you get the okay from the editorial policy people and the legal people, your bosses, like the head of the department, will for a whole bunch of considerations, mm. either say yes or no. Sometimes yeah. those considerations were very stupid, in my opinion. And it, sometimes, you know, we had pretty tense conversations where I felt like I was trying to explain comedy to people who have never done comedy. Mm. And, you know, one moment in particular in the last week on air, we did this um, uh, rant about climate change. We did a segment called "Explains Lee," which was made a big screen talking about an issue. And, uh, and we thought we'd dedicate our last one to just losing our shit over how awful this country is at doing anything about climate change. Mm. A failure of the political class to seriously do anything and how angry that makes us as millennials and us on the team. Yeah. And I knew from the start, it's like, I want this to be intense. This should be uncomfortable. It's mildly uncomfortable to watch or it should feel like something different is happening on this Lots of expletives We're constantly calling out people, identifying the enemies in the fight against climate change, mm. and some pretty dark stuff with bringing out actual children and implying that they will uh, they will need to wear gas masks in the future. <laughs> <laughs> and um. and and minutes before we went to record that that uh, that EP, you know, some executives um, considered pulling the whole thing. We'd submitted the script, we'd done everything right, um, mm. and they considered uh, you know just not letting us do it at all. And that was just so infuriating because I knew because it was our last week on air. It's kind of like, what do you care? No one's watching the show. Just <laughs> let, let us do this. Um, and it, in, the, in the end, it, it all went ahead and it became something pretty special. Like it blew up as kind of a moment of the show and there was this huge outpouring from a lot of people saying that, that, that the way we did that was exactly what, what folks were after. And, I mean, and, and that to me is what Tonightly was or yeah. what the ABC should be doing, mm. like taking risks. Yes, an executive should feel uncomfortable. Because mm. you're you're a you're a Gen X or baby boomer in a suit mm. who's worried about what what the government thinks, defer to the young people making comedy for young people when mm. it comes mm. to, to what ends up on air. So, yeah, a- again, very grateful for the huge amount of freedom we did get to do. We mm. did a lot of very dumb stuff. We did a lot of shit stuff as well. But we we took we took risks, and I worry. That the ABC uh, isn't going to do that much because they have no money mm. and the, the political pressure is getting too much.
1: Yeah, we were going to ask that because you've kind of had, I suppose, a unique position in that you've done the show and now you're not, and um, <laughs> and and that was there was a lot of obviously as you touched on controversy about um, about the ABC board as well was going on at a similar ish time, and so. Um, you know, we were just kind of interested in, in your opinions as to the, the extent of which that pressure will always be there, or whether you think it's just a now thing, or, um, or yeah.
2: Yeah, it was pretty insane. I mean, yeah, we we finished, and then two weeks later, Michelle Guthrie loses her job, and Justin Milton is, is pressured to step down as well and does. Uh, I know for a fact, Justin Milton did not like our show at all. Yeah. Uh, and thought, thought I should have apologized for the, uh, C word scandal. Mm. Um, there, will, there will, always has been and always will be political pressure on the ABC. A bunch of people think it doesn't shouldn't exist, mm. so of course they're going to criticise every single program on it, constantly accuse it of bias, um, constantly deride it as uh, climate change alarmist or mm. uh, you know too sympathetic to um, innocent people fleeing persecution or you know just you know whatever. Mm. Um, but. And then that is put puts them completely at odds with the public opinion of, of the amount of um, interest, uh, the amount of public uh, trust in in that particular institution. Hmm. This it seems particularly bad at this point. While we were on air, the Liberal Party executive passed a motion saying that it should be privatized. That like just straight upset it. The government tried to pretend like that was no big deal. Hmm. And they're like, ah, people make motions all the time, and that doesn't bond bind um, government policy. But that's a pretty big pretty big yeah. deal. That the, the the major party, the party of government, right now. Thinks that the public broadcaster should be should be sold. Mm. That's pretty nuts. Mm. So uh, hopefully um, it is a central issue in the upcoming election, Mm. and hopefully, yeah, the Labor Party doubles down and realizes that it's really valuable Mm. and people really like it. Now, whether absolutely everything the ABC does is is a, a wonderful use of taxpayers' money. Is, is that's probably again another continuing conversation yeah. forever. Yeah, and I think there was some kind of weird corporatization of of it, even though it is a corporation. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, some could argue that what Michelle Guffrey Guffrey, Guffrey introduced was uh, Googleifying ABC yeah. a bit, mm. which might be wound well back. I don't know. Yeah, mm. but I love the ABC, not just because they give me jobs, <laughs> because yeah. I think they do really really important stuff. And you know, you just don't see that same. You know, look at America that doesn't really have anything like that. You mm-hmm. know, PBS, but nothing like a national mm-hmm. public broadcaster that you know does really, really good journalism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, you said before that, and you've you've said uh, previously. I think on your on your Wikipedia, it's quoted that um, you say it's important that the ABC will should take risks. Mm. Um, so I guess two things. Uh, first of all, what what do you think the importance of risk taking is, and why is it so important today? And second of all. Um, I listened to your interview with Will Anderson, and he said something that was uh, that kind of stuck with me, and that was that things that interest the public aren't or aren't the same as things that are in the public interest. Yes. Um. So yeah. yeah I'll,
2: well. well, I mean, yeah, I mean, on that that second point, I mean, I think there is something fundamentally important about uh, a, a news organization that isn't beholden to corporate interests. Yeah. I mean, it's just. There are great journalists working at Channel 9 and Channel 7, sure, and Channel 10, whatever. But ultimately, fundamentally, structurally baked into the thing, into the cake of those organizations is a pro-capitalist, mm. um, free market ideology. Mm. Um and, you know, Media Watch on the ABC regularly exposes this stuff. Mm. You know, sponsors of certain mm, current affairs yeah. programs suddenly, you know, are, are, let, are let off the hook or aren't exposed or certain bad elements of a company are ignored because they give money to the organization. I mean, you just you just got to take that out. Um, and, and even extending to, you know, the age in Fairfax or Fairfax nine, now merged with yeah. Nine. Like, and then the monopoly, the concentration of media in Australia is insane, mm. too and of course those people are going to constantly lobby to, to end the abc cry foul about them you know um, providing competition to to people and they should only fill gaps where the market fails but that's this that's all nonsense that's all noise they they just want to improve the bottom line there and um and that needs to be rejected heartily i think i mean i think they're talking about greg Highwood as the new chairman of the abc who's a dude who regularly you know literally said like testi- testified to parliament saying um the ABC should only exist where the markets failed, which mm-hmm. just doesn't make any sense. And is weird. Um, so uh, yes, the public interest uh, test is, is well, I mean, we've seen it again and again with four corners, right? Four corners does a story in a major issue and boom, Royal commission, <laughs> bingo, bango, <Yeah. laughs> you know, I mean, that is the definition of public interest journalism, uh, stories that we don't know about that are bubbling away in the background that aren't, you know, given the light that they deserve, the ABC turn, you know, exposes them and highlights them. And, um, and we're all better for it. Um, I think that the ABC is not always perfect. It does make mistakes. And it's subject to a lot of scrutiny, a lot of internal processes and stuff, and a lot of public pressure. And people have very high standards of the ABC. And I think that's all very justified and totally worth it. Um but yeah, I mean, we just we just got to hang on to it, you know. We really do. Mm.
0: And is that is that where the risk is?
2: Oh, uh, sorry, risk taking. Yes, I mean, yes, risk taking, particularly in comedy. Mm. It's just like if you're not taking risks, what, you know, you should have to get off the part. You yeah. know, why are you, why are you doing it? Yeah. If you're not gonna yeah. shake things up a little bit, mm. and it's always so weird because retrospectively, people love the comedy of their of the time and how how much uh, how much they pushed things back. back in the day, but don't seem to want to happen mm. now. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's, you've gone too far. Now mm. it's just too much, mm. you know. And when it comes to something like swearing, right, which was, again, a, a constant conversation around tonight, Lee, I just have so little time for the outrage of people who support offshore detention or who don't care about climate change Mm. or don't care about the stuff we're actually swearing about Mm. um, to focus in on this sort of weird moral language policing nonsense when Mm. when they're not even offended by it. Like, Mm. everybody's heard fuck, everybody's heard cunt, people do it regularly.
1: But it's it's an excuse to diss something they already don't like. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like,
2: okay, I'll stop swearing Jared Henderson. Mm, Like my comedy now? Didn't (laughs) think so. (laughs) Um, Well, we did
1: want to touch on that point of... um, going back to drawing the line because um, it must be quite hard in comedy um, where you've got to take the piss out of some people and some people you don't want to take the piss out of. Um, you want to afford other people respect. So I suppose how do you go about drawing the line in your comedy and, you know, in, in on, on Tonightly and, and other places?
2: Um, it's it's hard. It is hard. I mean, we had a lot of conversations. You know, the, the team was pretty... Um, I mean, you know, again, people will reject this, but, you know, broadly, I would say ideologically pretty diverse. We were constantly thinking about our biases and, yeah. you know, where we're coming at things yeah. from, and also different senses of humor and all that kind of stuff. And all that was fine because the show just had demanded so much content that we just made lots of different stuff and two people could disagree on something, but it's all right because you'll have a chance tomorrow to make something new. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, we were always very conscious of like identifying the target which way are we punching mm. are, we, are we punching up or down um you know we had a few we, you know we had we had a pretty decent crack at diversity of you know people of uh different gender identities and um people of color working on the show and stuff and, that, and all those conversations were really helpful and important um and we didn't always get it right you know and there's some stuff that was made on the show that i didn't agree with politically but yeah. You know, I was either too busy <laughs> or I just let go of that sometimes yeah, yeah, yeah. because, you know, it wasn't entirely my show. It was everybody's, yeah. everybody's show working together. Um, but, you know, I think we got a little bit more bold towards towards the end and we tried to take some swings and take the piss out of the left a little bit particularly too. Because yeah. there were certainly people on the left um, that deserve to be ridiculed and should be should be dustly done so. We tried to take the piss out of ourselves. Mm. Um, yeah,
1: and on, yeah, on the left, sorry. Um mm-hmm. I noticed you did I did see that skit that you did, it was the last episode or second last that um kind of critiqued the left. Mm.
2: Was that your idea or where did that come from? What was the rationale? No Jazz Jaz Twemlow was was the presenter of that. He'd been yeah. pitching that for a very long time. We went away during a we did a conservatively app we did which you know last week we did, we went nuts and we yeah. did the whole episode from the point of view of a uh we we the premise was let's make the show conservative and then then they'll let us stay yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was really fun to do and jazz uh so jazz sort of really worked on that piece independently he's a really great writer and he knew what he wanted to say and he'd been thinking about that a lot i was talking about it with holly the producer of that of that segment last week actually um i probably don't agree with the the general idea that <clears throat> Uh, calling people out, people out as racists, makes them racist, or that you can blame the left for the rise of the alt right. Mm. I, I just, I wouldn't necessarily. I don't think. I think that's been kind of debunked, and I wouldn't necessarily uh, explain that. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very good point to make that in this time of rising fascism and the alt right, wh- what what do we have to offer people? Mm. And if, if what do you have to offer people is a bunch of in identity politics that 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 just points at like cultural appropriation or what have you, um that sucks mm. because that's, that's not going to help us win. Mm. So, you know, a rethinking of what the left is offering people is important. Mm. And I think it's slowly starting to happen. Um, and the best part of that sketch to me was at the end when the Nazi's doing yoga and the person comes over and says, that's cultural appropriation. <laughs> I mean, that, that was a beautiful embodiment of the problem, which yeah, is yeah. probably focused on the fact that he's a Nazi as opposed to the, the cultural appropriation yeah, yeah. bit, I think. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, and you said before that uh, you feel as though the trend in politics is that it's moving further and further right Um, and we have we've asked all or most of our guests this so far but I guess yeah why do you think that is like why do you think there is this you know market shift to the right
2: well is I mean I don't I don't know if things are shifting I guess things are shifting to the right I, the right is resurgent mm. and um a lot of blatantly fascist ideas or uh, blatantly racist mm. or white supremacist ideas are getting a whole lot of traction mm. yes that's that's certainly true and a lot more uh, attention I I would say that. The, in reaction to that, the, the left is sort of stirring up some shit. Mm. In the UK and the US at least, not so much in Australia, where no. we're all comfortable in the centre. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, I mean, many would argue, I think, from a, from a Marxist or, or leftist kind of point of view, is that, that capitalism is just wrapping up Mm. You know, its its contradictions can't last. Mm. Global financial crisis, climate change, mix those two together. People mm. going and 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 neoliberalism, mm. you know, and people just not having a, enough money to fucking live. Mm. Even though there are billionaires in the world, mm. people are saying this this doesn't seem right at all. Mm. And you can go two ways with that. You can either go cool, let's have a you know leftist revolution and take the money from the rich people and share it around, or you can go ah, fuck all these people of color, stop mm. all that, stop the the free trade. Globalisation, freedom of movement. You know, let's just look after our own. Let's mm-hmm. be nationalists, um, and that's kind of the debate now. That's mm-hmm. that's the two teams. Which team are you guys on? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no <knew> <laughs> <laughs> the winning team. <laughs> yes. Um,
1: we watched your interview with Jordan B. Oh, Peterson. Fuck. Yes. <laughs> um, that's what wanna... Liam pointed to the screen. <laughs> We, we thank st- you fascist oh <laughs> God, there it is. well we want to know we want to know firstly were you shitting your pants because <laughs> i could not imagine staring down the barrel of him he's intense secondly um what do you think about
2: his popularity and his messages man um i was very nervous i was mm. very nervous and i wasn't it was pretty early on in our run i think i think when he was out it was out yeah it must have been you know not long after we started and there was a lot of excitement and I was interested in talking to him because I was like, you know, this is gonna be a different perspective and like we this is what I want my show to be. You know, on my podcast yeah. I've talked to people like Lyle Shelton line, from the yeah. Australian Christian Lobby and Senator James Patterson stuff. I'm up for that. But I didn't I wasn't as across Jordan Peterson as I should have been. Mm. Uh, like uh, the next day after the interview, I read a, a piece in The Baffler, I think, about, <laughs> about how he's just he doesn't, he's an idiot. <laughs> he doesn't say anything. Like if you read some of his writings, he just has these huge swaths of text that, mm. that don't mean anything. Mm. And he's either saying nothing or he's saying stuff that's very banal. Mm. Um, and if you really think about some of the things he's saying, like don't criticize the world until your life is in perfect order you go oh that's just depoliticizing that's just telling young people don't do any don't protest don't get out there there's nothing wrong you know don't don't worry about the system until yeah. you've cleaned your room and mm. stand up straight yeah and of course no one's life is in perfect order his isn't he eats beef that's all he fucking eats it looks miserable so i don't know what why he thinks he can dish out advice for other people mm. um and, yeah, he's this weird split thing of, like, self-help stuff, which I have friends who generally say this has really helped me, you know, help my life. Mm-hmm. The way they say it, I would argue that, you know, they did it themselves. But, anyway, that that, that general advice he put out there inspired them to be happy. Yep. That's psychological th- advice. Yeah, and just kind of basic self-help stuff yeah, like, yeah. you know, Tony Robinson or whatever. That's, yeah. that's all fine, I guess. But it's coupled with this really, really um, uh, insidious kind of idea that, uh, yeah, Things are the way they are because of nature, mm. and that you don't, you don't need to change anything, and the hierarchy is all fine, and, mm. uh, and and women suck because they're not violent. <laughs> anyway, but and and I talked about this with Amy Therese, which is the first episode of my podcast back. Um, she, she's she's very smart lady. She's on the Dead Pundit Society podcast, and she's thought a lot about these um, Peterson and Sam Harris and, and Dave mm. Rubin and stuff, trying mm. to pick them apart. And and uh, and yeah, the popularity clearly appeals to people who are feeling. Pretty alienated Mm. Particularly young people Particularly young men Mm. And I would say You know again And this might be typical But that's the crisis of Of capitalism in 2019 You know Or or neoliberalism Everyone's alienated And we don't know what to do And so you can either Double down on that And say that it's Yeah feminism's fault Or political Mm. correctness's fault And And if you view everything Through an individual lens And you go like Hey I sorted my shit out Why can't everybody else Why can't Mm. these poor people or, Or queer people Or what have you um that's a much easier answer, I think, rather mm. than we have a collective responsibility to everybody else and we should work together to make things better for everyone.
1: Um and so do you think therefore that comedy is or has the potential to really cut through that and be a good tool for activism? I know I, I saw I was lucky enough to see Boundless Plains to Share. <laughs> um and You lucky that, thing. <laughs> that was very brave and bold and um and I, I certainly liked it a lot. Um and yeah, just wondering whether you think comedy why comedy is such a great tool for those messages and for for activism
2: um okay i love doing comedy and i love doing comedy about stuff that i believe in and that i think is important uh boundless pains to share was was this this comedy lecture about australia's refugee policies um yeah 70 minutes of me banging on and was a little bit theatery and and, you know emotional and stuff but i was trying to just really pick apart that issue about why why we're in this position where we have these offshore gulags Mm -hmm. i really love working on that I had people who told me that that connected with them and made them feel things, made them think slightly differently about the issue. And we also raised money, like we made material progress in some small way to donate to people who do very good work in that area. Mm-hmm. But I'm very realistic about the limitations of how much that can do. Yeah. I'm a comedian who then developed an interest in politics, so started yeah. doing political comedy. I didn't look at the world and go, yeah. I've got to fix this. <laughs> I'm going to start writing some jokes yeah. <laughs> um, because that's, that's just not, that's not how it works. Yeah. And it's important to keep that in mind. Still enjoy all that stuff, and still love it, and hopefully marry the two as much as possible. But mm. you know, the guys. Have, do you listen to Chapo Trap House? Do you know that podcast no. at all? Right, well, no. that's that's good. We listen. suck. <laughs> no, it's fine. I mean, again, I have a lot of time. Um, uh, listen to Chapo Trap House. Very funny leftist dirtbag left podcast from the from uh, from the US. And uh, they say listening to this pol- this podcast is not doing politics, guys. Mm. I know it might feel like it, and you might feel like oh, I'm a pretty political person because I listen to this cool podcast or I watch this stand up or, you know, I read certain books. But um, that's not how shit gets done. Mm. Mm. So so keeping that in mind is helpful. Mm. Mm.
0: Um, why do you, so? Yeah. Why do you? Why do you think people like comedy? And do you because it sounds like you said before that you wanted to marry comedy and politics to try and you know, communicate. Mm. Um, I'm sure there are many people who, you know, go to comedy because they like it. It makes them feel good. But also there would be some who go there, you know, maybe for some sort of education. What do you think it is about people or what do you think people find in comedy? Mm. Why do people keep listening to people making jokes?
2: Well, we, we love laughing. Laughing feels f- feels good physically. Like yeah. it literally releases chemicals in your brain that mm. make you feel nice. Mm.
0: Okay, let me, let me cut you off there. Oh, yes. Because if, if that is the case, yes. without letting you elaborate, which is a bit unfair. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> Where's this going on? This
0: ties in with what you were saying before about, you know, capitalism and neoliberalism and, you know, the quest for more and whatnot. Mm. Are we just self-interested to our core? Is life just this, you know, exploration of what makes us feel the best?
2: Let me elaborate. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because it's i mean it's sitting in a uh, uh, an audience mm. of comedians can make you feel make you feel good in your body mm. but also it is a collective experience mm, and mm, it is a live experience and you're with a whole bunch of other people and when you tell a joke and or when you hear a joke and you laugh along with a whole bunch of other people about the ridiculousness of life or mm. about how work sucks or advertising is stupid or we're all lost children desperately Mm. trying to love each other and be loved, you know, Mm. material about dating and the difference between men and women, even Mm. though it is cliched and hacky, still works because it's eternal. It's a universal Mm. theme Mm. that everybody connects to. And, you know, I see comedians and I feel less alone and I feel like I'm part of something and I'm brought joy because I've, I've been reminded of how silly the world can be. Um, so, and look, you know, I'm selling tickets to my comedy show. I have a joke this year about how um you know comedians turn laughter into a product. It's like the most <laughs> neoliberal thing <laughs> you to do like Take a laughter and joy and mm. sold it to people. Mm. You commodifying <laughs> you' <buy. laughs> <Who laughs> commodified it <laughs> <It's my> God. <laughs> So <laughs> it's nuts right but that's you know I'm still gonna eat um,
1: <laughs> you're a victim of the, <laughs> the-, as well. victim of the system
2: oh, I'm gonna read Jordan Peterson <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, you know and ideally and you can see you can see it when it's taken out of that commercial uh, context and you just make your friends laugh it's, it's the best mm-hmm. laughing with, with people is the best it's, mm. it keeps keeps you human I think so so that's that's important um and i and i am still 100% you know comedian first like i got to make it funny if i if i'm doing i've seen people do political comedy that um they're making great points mm. terrible jokes um, and i've done that too and so i don't i don't want that to be the the, the case so it's still got to be funny and the most satisfying thing is when i can write a really really funny joke like you know up there with with any other routine that i've written about you know cooking or or dogs <laughs> that makes people laugh and also expresses what i really think and, you know, that, and ties into some kind of anger about the political system. That's mm. the sweet spot. Mm.
0: Okay. Um, and another thing that I wanted to know was, um, you know, you, you know a lot about politics and it's something you're obviously interested in. Have you ever considered going into politics yourself? Because recently, at least in 2018, you, you know, clearly aligned yourself with Victorian socialists. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, is that... Did you consider joining... Oh, Sorry, I dropped oh, good.
1: a lid. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. Go um, on. Go You're yeah. going me running for politics. <laughs> yeah. A man who just dropped a coffee lid all over the place. <laughs> Fuck it, <laughs> Sorry.
2: Sorry. Um, uh, I have joined. I think I've joined. I don't. Think, I don't what you to do to join the Victorian Socialists. I'm not paying anyone anything, mm-hmm. but I'm signed. I'm on the email list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be ironic if you were paying. Yeah. Something something, <laughs> well, wouldn't I'm sure they. I think they take donations and stuff. Yeah, because yeah. they did. Yeah, need to run. Oh, what a hip, what a bunch of hypocrites! No, no, <laughs> they're working in this capitalist yeah, system. Yeah, of um, I think they're great. I've read their manifesto and I've known some people in that party, and I think they're really cool. Mm. And I would encourage people to to uh, check them out. Mm-mm. And not just be like, oh, socialists! Why don't they go live in Venezuela? <laughs> uh, actually, look at what they're offering and what they're talking about, and think about how popular you know things like um, nationalising or putting things like transport and stuff back into public hands really is. I have vaguely uh, considered running politics, running for politics in some way, somehow, in my more arrogant moments. Um, and then I meet, uh, then I meet people who are actually doing that, and I think, God, that looks like a lot of work, <laughs> a lot of like a nightmare. People like Jason Ball runs for mm. the Greens, or Adam Pulford, who are friends of mine. Um, and I have a lot of respect for them doing that. I, I, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. It's not, it's not impossible. Mm. You know, Al Franken, though, you know, he didn't have a great end to his political career. Uh, you know, he's a comedian, writer for SNL, ended up as a, as a senator. Eddie um, Izzard wants to run for politics, I think, mm. uh, uh, next year and stuff. Um, and hey, Donald Trump's the president. <laughs> so why can't I be <laughs> doing something? I guess it's just about yeah how much how much time and energy I'm prepared to dedicate to that and whether I'm doing it for the right reasons and, and whether some real good can happen. Mm. I mean, I think you know more and more. There's a pretty convincing argument that a huge amount of change happens outside of parliament. Mm. And yes, we've got to vote for good people, get them in there for sure. Mm. And campaign for the for the people who are doing good stuff. Um, but I feel like you can almost you almost you almost don't have to. Uh, 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 poison yourself <laughs> with the fact, because people hate politicians, mm-hmm. like across the board, understandably, because of the political class and and how little happens and and how compromised it is in a whole lot of ways. So if you can fight for the good things and not have to worry about the the complexities of that, then that's quite handy.
1: Yeah. Um. Obviously, so we've spoken a lot about politics, and and I I can imagine that it gets quite heavy to be so, uh, you know, ingrained in those areas in those spaces mm. um what do you do to to relax these days and, and how do you switch off because obviously um you know i've i met you in um, in asrc asylum, asylum seeker resource center related um, activities and um for, for me it, it was one of the hardest things to do was to sort of switch off and like go of some of the really intense stuff mm. that I was seeing. So h- how did you deal with that? Do you read Jordan Peterson at <laughs> night? <laughs> 12 rules for life.
2: I'll clean my room. No, I can't do the impression. Um, look, I, again, with a caveat that, uh, you know, I was never, I'm not a human rights lawyer. Mm. I'm not working on the front line of services and, and, you know, every day talking to people who've had their lives ruined by by immigration policies or, or what have you. I'm not a social worker or people who work in homeless services who I think, who I, I can't believe they, they live mm. and, and do what they do, you know, often not paid enough very well to take good holidays or what have you. Um, so, for, for I mean, for me, being able to check out of political activism is very easy. Mm. Um, but politics... Politics after a while, particularly if you, particularly as I've found, if you go down sort of the leftist rabbit hole of the past little while, it does ruin your brain. Yeah, and you say everything, every single transaction, uh, every piece of art. You kind of have a reading that is yeah. like, well, you know, what is capitalism trying to do here to yeah. me? You know, it's it's quite annoying. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I have friends, I love my friends. I'm re- really lucky. I have lots of different friends from different parts of my life. I love hanging out with them. I go to the theater. Uh, i really like theater and movies uh and i ride my bike that's stuff mm. and and getting back to nature i remember yeah reading about how how extremely good that is for your mental health and how you know i i think a couple of years ago i was like i always say i love nature but i very rarely take the time to go out and look at mm. it. <laughs> so, it so it takes so effort it is mm. yeah 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 exactly you got to leave leave the house mm. <laughs> um so yes nature that's my
1: top tip and um i think um it obviously, it can be super easy to be really cynical, and I've certainly found myself in in that headspace quite a lot. Um, but are you hopeful that things in the political sphere are on the verge of changing? We've had changing rather. Um we've had the Medivac mm. bill mm. um in Australian Parliament, which um correct me if I'm wrong. Um, gives doctors more control over who can come to Australia from Manus Nauru for medical treatment. Yep. Um, So are you hopeful that maybe the tide is turning in the asylum space or or other spaces, or or are you still
2: very deeply worried that um, it's getting worse? (sniffs) Um... (sighs) i don't i don't know if it's getting worse no i think certainly over the past couple of months there's been a lot of reason to hope yeah yeah. um and while i've got a bunch of problems with with say karen phelps or this this lionization of a bunch of independent people coming through to replace liberals you know full credit to her and to the crossbench for getting that stuff done it's pretty amazing i think if labor wins and dear god i hope they do not because i'm Absolutely mad for labor, but just because they're just demonstrably better than this shit show of a government. Mm-hmm. If they follow through on a bunch of their promises, like increasing the refugee intake, um, I mean, they say they'll end indefinite mandatory detention without saying they'll introduce time limits. So I don't mm-hmm. know how that works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're trying to play both sides of this this uh, this debate, which is very frustrating. But um, I mean, I th- I think yeah, I mean, I think that the coalition government is a crisis point at this point, and I would h- certainly hope. That um, that that things can turn around there. I've read a lot, quite a bit of convincing stuff that this idea that oh, if the boats come up again as an issue, they'll win the election. Yeah, I don't yeah. think that's true. I think boats is a very very low um, uh, issue on people's radar. Mm. Like it, it polls at like seven percent or something. Really? Like in terms of it never it never makes the top five no. issues or what have you. Mm. I mean, it was different when there were a lot of boats arriving and and a lot of uh, uh, people were trying to arrive, we did have quite a few horrible tragedies with people drowning at sea. That was a different sort of context and calculus. It seems that the Australian public says, that boat turned back thing seems to be working. I don't really care about that. What are you doing? What are you doing with my franking credits? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I find it very hard to find hope around the climate debate. Very, very hard to to do that. I I love the kids striking for climate action. Mm. I think they're amazing. And, um, you know, something like the Green New Deal in the States makes me vaguely hopeful that someone is articulating something like a vision that we need. But, uh, yeah, if you think about that one too much, you get pretty depressed pretty Mm. quick. So try not to. Mm. Don't think about it. That's my (laughs) advice. But, I mean, you, you you just constantly have to look at hope. You know, look at the Victorian state election. You know, across the board, absolute decimation and rejection of whatever the fuck the Victorian liberals were offering. And people were looking at the... Centre left, yes, government of the Daniel Andrews, and said, You are, yes, taxes are slightly higher, but you've used that to create services. Mm. And you're actually saying that there is a social contract here mm. and we need that. That's what we want. Mm. And I don't think that's just restricted to Victoria. I think that's pretty, that's, that's across the board. I think that's what people want. And um, so if, if Labour can be more like that across the country, then that would be cool. Going back
1: to um, your comedy, do you ever find that there is a real pressure to be funny everywhere? Because, you know, I'm sure um, there are people who are in many walks of life who are funny. And, you know, they can kind of be funny at their own leisure. Yes. But you, you have to be funny all the time. And maybe that's not hard for you, but does it kind of feel like, you know, maybe you go to like a soulless corporate gig and, and you know, you must feel like, if, if if you don't make them laugh, that um that you know that kind of is, says something about your ability or your character or something. But yeah, so do you feel that pressure or?
2: Yeah, I mean it's a weird job because you're you are, by being a comedian or turning up for a comedy gig, you are saying, I am funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's just something you're asserting by your very presence. Mm. Um, and if you are not funny, if you are trying out new material or it is it is a horrible corporate gig where no one wants you to be funny, where mm. the conditions aren't right for comedy, they can be very difficult. Mm. Thankfully, those corporate gigs often come with a large paycheck. Okay, So that's good. <laughs> you go home and you um, eat takeaway food yeah. and, uh, and you think about the money. Um, but... I I mean I, I love being funny I, and I like I love making people laugh, I should say. And that's why I that's a big reason why I do comedy. But I'm very much there's I think Will said this once. There are people who are funny and there are people who do funny. Mm. And I think I'm in the second category. I, I have to write a lot, think about it, plan and really think through what makes me funny. Someone like Anne Edmonds, um, is just hilarious. She's mm. just, just being around her is very funny. She's got funny burns and all that mm. kind of stuff and uh um yeah, she's just really fun to be around and, and you're always laughing when you're with her. Well, so, I found it interesting
1: yeah. that I um, listened to Frank Woodley talk a bit about his – and he says he plans everything meticulously too, which yeah. I was surprised by because when I've seen him, he seems so – Lucid and, and loose,
2: and you know, doing it off the calf. I mean, he must. I mean, he improvises a fair yeah. bit. I think, like he's done, he's done, he's done improv in his time. But yeah, he. I mean, he thinks so much about. It. I've seen him in rehearsal once. I think, or just just trying to plan out a routine, mm. and it's, it is really, yeah, really thought through. It mm. looks like you know, wacky slapstick comedy that's happening spontaneously, but that's kind of the trick.
0: Mm. Um, so talking about planning and you know, organizing your thoughts, you are. Obviously a talented public speaker um, we, in, in stalking you on Wikipedia <laughs> oh we discovered that um, yeah in in your final year of high school you performed exceptionally well at these various public speaking things and ended up being flown over to London to represent <laughs> Australia at some public speaking thing. Yes I did So for us incompetent I got a incomprehensible- lot of comprehensive
2: In high school I was getting laid a lot. <laughs> Yeah.
0: Was it your smooth words? The smooth words
2: Whoa, you're in the debating team And you're an accomplished public speaker? Uh, let me suck your penis, please
0: uh, Okay, well on that note uh, For for those of us who aren't as as gifted with words um, You know, what do you do when you speak? Do you like Are you like Frank Woodley Or from, from what Liam described Do you have some sort of idea Of how you're going to navigate your ideas? Like, is there a plan? Do you know... Like, have you discovered that some modes of communicating are more effective than others in your comedy or, you know, do you just kind of get up there and you're like, all right, here are the big concepts I want to talk about, go. Mm. Uh,
2: yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm a planner. I will, mm. For my stand-up scripts or whatever, I, I do write everything out mm. uh, long like word hand. For word yes, yes which, which is insane. And mm. when I perform it on stage, I won't say it word for word like mm. it is on the script, mm. but just some version of it, particularly if the joke, you know... Um, uh, focuses revol- revolves around a certain t- turn of phrase, or word. I like. I really need to re- write it out so I can remember it specifically mm. to to make the joke work. But for stuff like you know, MCing job or like a you know, which is probably a bit more related for people have to get up at work or or their fellow students and sort of just express something. Uh, I my my only tip or advice is to just 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 sim- simplify everything. Mm. Um, people listen to a lot of speeches, and a lot of people talking all the time. And it gets very boring. And the number of times I've been at an event where someone is talking and I'm thinking, why are you talking right now? You're just talking because you feel like you have to say something. Mm. So many events are like, oh, yeah, the person will say a few words. And I always yeah. think, why? Why? Yeah. Why are they doing that? Um, so so I just think respect your audience's time and give them the, you know, writing something out in bullet points can be really helpful because mm. it does just restrict everything down to the basics of what you want to say. Mm. Um, you know, less is more and no, no speech very few speeches, very few comedy gigs finish, and people go, "Gosh, I wish I wish it was longer." <laughs> it just doesn't just doesn't happen. Mm. Um, and and always try to think about what you're value adding. Like what what are your sa- what are you saying that someone else hasn't said, or what is it your n- unique perspective that you can tell people that will actually interest them? Mm. Um, yeah, I think that's that's, mm. that's a tip.
0: Okay, no, thanks. ironically oh. saying
2: that on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, yes. but interestingly, do you, uh, do you, 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 you find trouble public speaking or yourself or no?
0: Uh, do I, does yes. it, bo- like, is it difficult for yep. me? Um, I think it used to be because I, I tend to overthink, um, and kind of dwell. and you're yeah, studying philosophy. Yeah, yeah, which is, Ah <laughs> uh, geez, yeah, too, too much time spent thinking. Um, but yeah, what do, I think what used to bother me in the past was the anticipation of, the beginning mm. and so I would just think like I'd, I'd know what I I would spend like you know almost obsessively research what I'd need to present yes and then be familiar with it and then you know just kind of be consumed yeah. by like some sort of anxiety or something beforehand and just kind of you know lose touch with what I had you yes. know w- with what I needed mm. to say the podcast has actually helped a lot with mm. confidence and public speaking yeah um, the because it qu- that it's not live yeah no it really <laughs> does it really does Um The question I wanted to ask you was that uh, you raised an interesting point that I agreed with, which was that, uh, you know, you almost have to compete for people's attention. Mm. Um, And there is so much information circulating that, you know, like you have to speak in a way that is very accessible, Mm. um, that is interesting and, you know, perhaps that is going to encourage people to take it on board and maybe change in some way. Mm. Um, But at the same time, there is this shift towards podcasts mm. and like you know the joe rogan podcast some of his interviews go for like four hours <laughs> and you know yes. people will watch they'll watch don't, it. They be, like yeah. right. don't still, be like him but still like you know he's I, I he's the I most imagine, popular yeah most popular. Yeah, like that, yeah yeah how the hell does that work <laughs> um okay so one how how the hell does that work <laughs> yes yes and two um why do you think it is that people are kind of you know putting their <laughs> like instead of you know doing their own research and like navigating studies and whatever mm. why are they turning to podcasts and you know trusting others to educate them
1: hmm
2: well that's that's interesting I mean yeah look the the internet has given more people more opportunity to say more things and lead and, and meet other people and communicate things and learn about things than ever before I mean again this this podcast Chapo Trap house which is very popular in in, in the in the US and has you know, many people said, seen a resurgence of a lot of young people, young people who are looking for something like it, you know, listen to it a lot and um, have joined the Democratic Socialists of America. And, you know, it's, 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 it's changed something. It's sort of it's sort of become the voice of, of a certain moment. And I've learned a lot by listening to that podcast. Sometimes it's the dumbest podcast in the world and they're, they're being idiots. Sometimes they're, they're talking about Australia, uh, America's uh, uh, foreign policy over the 20th century and you're learning a lot while also being entertained. Um, and that's all That's all good, and uh, I listen to lots of podcasts, and I love it, and there's a huge amount of it, and you can never keep up, and never keep across every TV show, and everything, there's content everywhere, right, mm. so yes, you need to compete for people's attention, but but also just be a bit skeptical sometimes, I mean, something I've learned over the past couple of years, like people, opinion writers, they have to have an opinion every mm. week, <laughs> so so the, the bullshit that they're writing, comes out of just the economic imperative, that their job is yeah. to write stuff, so, so they've got to write something, yeah, and people have already done the take that they were going to do, so now they have to come up with a new hot take. Mm. I mean, look look through... And I know it's easy to say Miranda Devine sucks. Look through Miranda Devine's hot takes over the past couple of years and you think this woman is an idiot or a cynical shill who is just trying to G up the readership of the Daily Telegraph, the News Corp. Um, they don't believe any of this stuff and they're wrong and then they, and there's no comeuppance for them being wrong. Mm. They're just shitting out opinions and we are swallowing it for whatever reason. I mean, we're probably not reading them. But just just keep in mind... And th- that, that works across the board. There are a bunch of Guardian think pieces that you're like, this is just trash and mm. awful. And I've written Guardian pieces that they said, we'll pay you this amount of money for it. I go, well, that'll take me about two hours to write. Yeah, I can do it. Why not? Mm. Mm. Um, so be, be cynical and try to disregard that stuff as much as humanly possible. Mm. But we do obviously have this problem
1: where the revenue model in journalism mm. is all about clickbait and it's about ads and we've kind of lost the old two dollars on a paper every day model that we used to um is that going to change because that's a problem too obviously you spent you spoke about um patreon being Mm. a thing and um these subscription-based services but even then i'm sure you know maybe the the very top people make a lot of money with that but all through the middle i'm sure it's hard to get coin with journalism these days. Is that going to change?
2: Yeah. um, Well, I mean, like, independently supported journalism, I think, is is really vital. And, you know, I mean, I still... I pay The Guardian because I do think they do some really great work. Sometimes, mm. you know, you know, I don't know if I'm paying their opinion writers. God, I hope not. <laughs> paying uh, yourself, <laughs> <laughs> yes, oh, it all comes back. <laughs> but like, you know, just an example again. Chabot Trap House gets like sixty grand a month from oh, wow. Patreon. Okay, so, so and that's from people paying five bucks a month. You mm. know, so five bucks a month for a bunch of podcasts that really entertain you and like hours and hours of content. Um, of course once that adds up of all the thousands of people listen to them mm. you know they're, they're doing pretty well and it can support itself and they can mm. keep making the podcast and dedicate themselves to that there are some independent writers that do do a similar thing I think someone like Michael West does extraordinary journalism on um, tax avoidance and that kind of thing and and I think uh, that kind of direct model that is, people saying it's paying small amounts of money for stuff that they know is good and they want to keep supporting um, is great I mean it's it's arguable that the paper model where you paid two bucks for this huge mm. paper that you didn't read all yeah. of, that a whole bunch of it was sort of nonsense. But the pictures are nice. Pictures are nice. <laughs> and you get the crossword of the comics. Yeah. The of mm. course, you had no friends in high school. So, uh, <laughs> of course, you get the crossword. <laughs> hey. <laughs> yeah, look, it's changing. And I'm not saying it's 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 you know it's all it's all good. I mean, a lot of it's pretty grim. I know BuzzFeed is controversial for a range of reasons. I mm. do think BuzzFeed did some really good journalism mm. <clears throat> every now and again. Um, but yeah, I don't know. If the answer is Joe Rogan, then we're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, I think that's most of what we oh, want I'll to Oh, I just ask to wrap it up. Down. Yeah. <laughs>
0: okay, well, thanks right. so much for coming on Tom Thank, Thank you, you dudes. So thanks. thanks
2: for having me. Wonderful.
1: It's been a pleasure. Cheers. Thanks very much. Ciao. Yay! Thanks for coming.